Welcome to Syncreate, a show where we explore the intersections between creativity, psychology, and spirituality. We view creativity broadly, and one of our primary goals is to demystify the creative process. I'm Melinda Rothhaus, and I help individuals and organizations bring their creative dreams and visions to life. Today on the show, Shuja Udin. One of the most important ideas in creativity studies has to do with drawing new connections between seemingly unrelated things. In so many ways, the creative experience is about melding and blending ideas, themes, stories, and moments of inspiration into an original form. As creatives, we benefit from having an array of cultures and experiences to draw inspiration from. We benefit from being global citizens. And that's one of the main reasons I'm excited to bring you my conversation with Shuja. Shuja is a screenwriter, filmmaker, and a professor of media studies. He grew up in Karachi, Pakistan, and his work addresses sociopolitical themes, both in his home country and more globally. He's always drawn inspiration from all over the world, including Western pop culture. I started the conversation by asking him what drew him to film in the first place. So I think growing up in Pakistan, I used to watch a lot of Hollywood movies. Mm-hmm. And I, I loved Dennis the Menace. I loved <laughs> Home Alone. I loved Batman. So there was something that was quite different in the context of Pakistan where you didn't have this kind of media. Mm-hmm. People weren't making those kinds of cinema or films. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of that contact, you can say, from the global north in terms of cinema, movies, content, music. And then as a kid, particularly during... 2000s when I was growing up, traveling a lot to England, to UK, to the US. You know, I would come to Houston, I would go to Birmingham, London. Mm-hmm. So you'd see a lot of the culture that was there and and I would want to stay there. I was always had this reluctance to go back. I was like, no, I want to stay here. I want to go to the comic book store. I want to go to Waterstones. I want to go to WHS Smith. Yeah. I want to go to Barnes and Noble. So I would love going there, reading comic books, reading books. And my mom would do all the shopping and I would just be at the bookstore for hours yeah. just reading books. And over the years, I would say Japanese anime mm-hmm. and manga was mm-hmm. another source of inspiration. And so later in the 2000s, I was way more into that. I was creating, writing manga, drawing manga. I was learn. I wanted to be an artist, like yeah. animator. And I would sometimes take drawing classes and stuff. So that was a huge inspiration for me. But I think what ushered this move towards really pursuing it and figuring out what your life's task mm-hmm. is uh, was the death of Michael Jackson. I mean, all throughout my growing up years, Michael Jackson, as we know, was more of a caricature to us, especially mm-hmm. in Pakistan. I wasn't exposed to his music to that extent to people in America were uh-huh. or other countries. And so when he died, they started playing his thriller, Billie Jean, and all of that kind mm-hmm. of music. And I was just so mesmerized by the showmanship. And it was very cinematic and movie. So that started, I would say, a conscious decision to pursue creative work, okay. creativity. Yeah, that's so interesting because it's like all these Western influence, maybe outside of the culture you grew up Mm -hmm. in, superheroes, comics, Mm -hmm. you know, rock stars. And and now I know more recently, you've also gone back to your culture and the Mm -hmm. context you grew up in, in a way in some of your creative work and looking at 
pretty serious sociopolitical yeah. issues <laughs> in Pakistan and Karachi. You made a beautiful short film called Article 370 with your collaborator, Ibrahim Balu, <laughs> who I've had the pleasure to meet, about a young pregnant woman in the disputed Kashmir region. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful film. And I know right now you're working on another script that mm-hmm. has to do with water rights and corruption mm-hmm. in certain neighborhoods in yeah. Karachi. So. How did your experience growing up there shape the kinds of stories you want to tell? Yeah, because, you know, I grew up during post 9-11. And and so you had a lot of terrorism that was happening. Mm -hmm. You had the effects of the war in Afghanistan Mm -hmm. that was happening. Then you had things like political violence, gang violence, corruption, crime. And then you had a lot of love. You had a lot of family. And so you grew up in a space which is almost like a gumbo of a lot of things happening at the same time. You're going to school, but... Also, there's a bomb explosion. So right. how do you process these two information? But you also got to get a good grade. So mm-hmm. it was definitely like a energy that would come at you at different forms and suck you into it. And so when I was mentioning earlier about traveling overseas, mm-hmm. you wouldn't see that a lot going to America or, or right. UK. And so you would like to be in that space where there's talk of creativity, development, yes. innovation, and all of that. So the irony is because... I'm Pakistani, my parents are Pakistani. We would go to these Pakistani spaces in these cities. Uh So I was like, yeah, but I want to go where the white people are. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I love it. I enjoy the food and I love the people. It's fun. They're loving. But it's just like, I just don't want to be, as they say now, echo chamber. Yeah. I want to be in a space where there are other ideas and learn and grow and from that. So Great. Well, you actually kind of perfectly anticipated my next question. So you traveled to Europe, to the U.S. periodically growing up, but you actually came here to live when you went to Boston to go to grad Mm. school at BU. And I'm curious how actually moving here and living in a major American city, attending grad school, how that shifted your perspective on creativity. It changed my life. How so? I mean, um, so ever since I came to America and when I was in Boston, I would just expose myself to different experiences. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would go to like a Sabbath. I would go to something, you know, Palestinian thing. I would go to like a Suku Gakai Buddhist temple. Yeah. I would go like some salsa dancing, bachata dancing. So I would learn a lot outside of the class too, including doing stand-up. Yeah, in uh, in Boston, in a South Asian open mic, I would go there, and so to me, those kind of things really changed me because I was just getting exposed to new ideas. I was just soaking it all in. You know, I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have. A, I was a student, and my parents were paying for a lot of it just to be here. So I knew this was a privilege, and yes. I wanted to utilize this privilege in an effective manner. Right. So I wanted to like really express gratitude. Yeah, because this was a phase of education and apprenticeship, which I was Mm -hmm. excited to be there for. Well, and it sounds like, you know, as a creative, that's like the perfect education. You know, you have the formal education and then you have going out and living life Mm -hmm. in in this place where there's so many opportunities. And I think as creatives, we do need to seek out those experiences. You know, in creativity studies, we talk about divergent or associative thinking, which is making connections Mm. between maybe seemingly unrelated things. It's the seed of all creativity. Well, where does that come from? It comes from the inputs Mm -hmm. that we bring in. Yeah. And in in my 
my case, what excites me and is the space between interesting personal lives mixed with geopolitical stuff. Yeah. And that's what I loved when I was there because I could yeah. just be, you know, Latin culture to Jewish culture to Arab culture to Indian culture, but I can try to find a story within there. Like I loved the Chinatown in Boston and I would go there a lot and I wanted to tell a story about this thing that happened in the 90s, some sort of massacre happened, and it was about the triads from Hong Kong and this and that. I was like, so cool. This place, and I'm walking, this happened. I mean, it's a tragedy also, but I want to tell the story. Yeah. I, I just want to tell this story. And so it was just that excitingness of foreign and local and the yeah. excitement. So that associative thinking, that worked for me. That That's how it works. That makes you unique. Yeah, I love how you said that. You know, in a city like that, you know, with so much going on, there's so many stories. Mm. So one story in particular <laughs> All right. that I've heard from you, if you're willing to share it with us. While you were at BU, I understand you have a friend, a close friend who's from Singapore. Yeah. You were just there <laughs> emceeing his wedding, and I want to hear more about that. But uh, I, I believe you posed as a Singaporean nationalist <laughs> at one point. Tell us about oh this. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... So the story is that a friend, my Indian friend that I met through salsa dancing, by the way, uh -huh. she had her birthday at her place and she invited everybody there. So I met this guy, Guanhua. He's from Singapore. I was like, oh, nice meeting you. Cool. Yeah, cool. All right. Take care, buddy. Took pictures. Gone. The next day, I had some issue with my laptop. So I gave it to the BU IT department. Uh -huh. And then all of a sudden, I get this message on Facebook. And I was like, buddy, is this your laptop? <laughs> And I was like, oh, is this Guanhua? Oh, hey. And that's how we just became wow. awesome friends. And we started talking about politics and Singaporean politics. And we said, you know, we should. And there's this lunch happening for Singaporean students at MIT. I said, you know, we've talked about this political stuff now. What if we just start a political party, <laughs> troll them, go there and make our own flag and just midway through the lunch, like, come up on stage and I can pose to be a Singaporean because in <laughs> Singapore they have Chinese, Malay and Indians and yeah. I could pose to be an Indian right. and I can go on stage and say, we need to go back to what our great leader Lee Kuan Yew wanted to make Singapore great, to go back to our foundations. And the people, because Singaporean people are very apolitical. They, they're, it's it's a strict censorship yeah. and all that. I just recently visited. So they, they were like shook. They were like, oh, I don't know if you want to. Who wanna, is this guy? Yeah, who's this guy? <laughs> what is going on? Are we in a conversion camp? Like, what's going on? Like, And then and we were like, we need to go back to our roots. So we did that. And we did it one more time at Harvard. And yeah. so at Harvard, they had a sex education conversation about sex education in Singapore. So it was at the dorms in Harvard. Everybody was sitting, all Chinese Singaporeans, predominantly Chinese Singaporeans. And I was there also. <laughs> <laughs> and Shuja. <laughs> and Shuja, who is Salim from Yishun, one of the roughest neighborhoods in Singapore. Right. And it was Salim. You had a whole and, backstory. I had a backstory created yeah. just for the thing. Yeah. And so they kept going like, okay, how did you receive sex education in Singapore? And somebody's like, I went to Catholic school. There was Catholic guilt. And but he was like this, that, that. and you, Salim, what do you think? 
And I was like, I learned it from the best resource possible, www.pornhub.com. They're like, get this guy out of here. This guy is a- Did they drag you out? <laughs> well, I was like, it, it, the, the, it, there was tension in the air after that. And then my friend eventually revealed, like, he's not Singaporean, he's just my good friend. And, and that beauty of our relationship, he would come to my stand-up and he went back to Singapore after I graduated. Yeah. And, I, and he told me earlier last year, like, buddy, I'm getting married. I'd like you to be the MC of my wedding, and and it all happened. It all happened. You had a tough time getting to Singapore. That was, that's a whole another story. I'm gonna kind of go off book a little bit here, but I'm just thinking about the very first time we met. Mm -hmm. Actually, we were sitting in Twenty Four Diner. Yes, great place um, over in downtown Austin. You were telling me about a particular book that really influenced you. Do you happen to remember what that was? Is it the Dale Carnegie one? Yes. How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yes. Huge book. Changed my life. How so? Uh, it changed my life in a way where I was, as a teenager, very dorky and not saying that I'm not uh, still dork or anything like that, <laughs> but I was very dorky, shy. Dorky, sexy. Darky, okay. There you go. <laughs> it's a new thing. Write it down. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, uh, when I was uh, as a teenager, I was, you know, I come from a very STEM heavy society also yeah, and yeah. STEM heavy school. Yeah. So to be a creative and artist and a little bit offbeat was not the sexy thing to do. It was right. more of a dorky thing to do. Right. And then I wasn't that comfortable talking to people, especially of the affair of sex, let's just say that, <laughs> uh, to then reading that book over one of my trips to England on the train, I would read it and Dale Carnegie and I was then, and I would apply things to it, which were at times very awkward like, like what like complimenting my mom's friends food in a way that was like not so genuine uh -huh. like it looks forced uh -huh. but over a period of time you learn certain things about that book that opened you up like complimenting people complimenting making people eye contact. I eye contact was a huge one yeah. eye contact was pretty huge because when i was applying for my undergrad in karachi and we had this neighbor she worked at a major multinational company my mom sent me to her just like help him out and she, and i was so nervous around her and she was like look into my eye and i was like <laughs> okay uh uh, so the last I got, thing a teenage boy. Uh, yeah, what would want? Like yeah. I was, so I was. That was one of those things. Yeah. But when I started doing stand up, mm. that changed me a lot. I feel like that How brought so? a new because I was now in one room with tons of people. They're all looking at you, and I'm trying to make them laugh. And I mean, stand up to me is like the scare. I I perform. <laughs> yeah. I sing. Yes, I speak. Great. I awesome. do all the things, but yeah. stand up. Is the thing I'm most and I did of. it and I and and the first time I did it I made pe people laughed and I was like okay so I can be funny and yeah. people and I showed it to my one of my professors who I looked up to Professor John Bernstein and he's like you are funny and I was he was from Denmark you are funny, <laughs> you are funny. I was like that's <laughs> it on track and so I kept doing it every month and I wasn't funny every month yeah. and I'm st I don't know if I'm still funny but that changed me a lot and I don't feel that. I mean, there is that nervousness, but it, I'm like, let's go and give them a show. That thing changed me. Yeah. And that is what I take from Michael Jackson. Yeah. I, well, I love that because that actually, you know, I've thought a lot about, I was a really shy kid too mm -hmm. and kind of nerdy. And um, Oh, really? <laughs> what? Um, but I really wanted to sing. Mm. And I had to overcome my shyness. Yeah. You know, I would literally get up in front of people. My legs would shake. Okay. My face would turn bright mm -hmm. red. And yet mm -hmm. I still wanted to do it. And it wasn't like for the fame and glory. It was like there was something just you in me. You had to me, express, yeah. You know, and, and it took me years to overcome that. But then so many years down the road, 
you get better at it. It mm-hmm. gets easier. You get more mm-hmm. comfortable with yeah. it. And not only that, like from a personality perspective, I think I was, you know, definitely inherently more of an introvert. Mm-hmm. And yet I've done so many extroverted type things like teaching, performing, getting up in front of people that I think I've also become more extroverted. Mm. And really what, you know, introversion about is needing time to recharge, not necessarily being a social butterfly, but something about that comfort, Mm. you know, just being, becoming comfortable in your own skin Mm -hmm. in a way. And do you feel over the years you've become more comfortable with your skin? Absolutely. For example, like here we are in a recording studio. When I would make recordings, like I studied classical voice and opera, Mm -hmm. and um, I would listen back to the recording and I, it was like excruciating because the sound I heard in my head and what I heard on the recording were totally different. Wow. You know, and but over many, many years, mm-hmm. I got used like to the a, sound of my own voice yeah. until they became one and the same. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. People have that issue. Like, they, I mean, I used to have that a little bit, but what you're saying is exactly yeah. true. Like, yeah. over a period of time, stop having that difference between what you think you sound like and what it actually sounds like exactly. and then you accept it as like that's how I am exactly and then you can have fun with it exactly yeah so speaking of fun maybe this is a leading question but what's your creative superpower creative superpower overthinking overthinking <laughs> 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 that's my creative superpower yeah but yeah. something excites me, I just walk around a lot. Yeah. Super animated. Yeah. So so fun. an idea comes in your head or an inspiration and you're just chewing on it. Yeah. And it's I just lighten up. Yeah. And I see I just the potential of the story and the exploration of the story. Yeah. It's just like, oh my oh, god, stop me. The excitement. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love that. And I've kind of touched on this in a previous mm-hmm. session of the show where I really feel that, you know, creativity is connected to our life force energy, yeah. right? And so when we get jazzed about something, it lights us up. Exactly. And there's, uh, there's, I don't know if you have time for this, but I wanted to say that there's something which I learned from Robert Greene, which we all know intr- intrinsically, but it's your life's task. Yeah. Knowing what you want to do with your life. Yes. And something with you have all these pressures in life, you are working, you have other professions as independent filmmakers, as artists, creators, we mm-hmm. have to do other things to supplement our mm-hmm. income. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I learned is to protect as and serve, but I would say protect and preserve your life's task mm-hmm. is a huge thing where you're like very you know, like a baby. You have to guard it. Guard it because there are so many things that can take your time away from nurturing that part of your yeah, life. Which so is many distractions. So like, oh, I wish I could have done that. Like, that's what I don't want. Mm-hmm. I regret, like, I wish, or, oh, look at them. They're doing it. What are, like, no, just go and do it. Yeah. That's what I tell my students. Yeah. Find a way. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, I want to kind of make sure we touch on, you just started a film production company, oh, yeah. Tishna Films, with a couple of collaborators. And I'm curious, where does the name Tishna come from? Tishna comes from, uh, so my maternal grandfather, uh, his name was Tishna Barelvi, and Tishna is an Urdu word for wanting more, desiring mm. more, to have a desire that is unsatisfied, to want more. It's, it comes from the word Tishnagi. Our Tashnagi and my grandfather, he was a poet. He was an Urdu poet. And I felt that this word Tishna symbolizes both my desire to do more and to preserve and protect the life task yes. and to create, yes. tell stories, 
but also is a great way to honor my grandfather who was really into philosophy educate he spoke russian a secret communist he was <laughs> a lot of things that were going on in his life that he was a computer one of the first few people who did work in computers in Pakistan yeah. and so he was all about books reading he wasn't a like a very career oriented person mm-hmm. he was much more of a thinker so i i feel like he would have been proud of me to see that i wrote articles that i studied in america and like he would be happy to see that these developments happen he passed away before any of that happened he passed away in 2015 but just to honor that i feel like it's important so i started a company called tishna films yeah uh, last year and we made this documentary for university of texas austin mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh texas, texas system of care and it's called the power of connection which is about the youth peer support in texas people who support at risk teens mm-hmm. uh who are suffering mental struggles and, and help them overcome them because they've been through the similar experience so now they're on the other side they're helping them they're giving them a space to think and youth peer support is the key thing that has helped a lot of kids so there was this one girl in uh, Houston Texas Gabby and she had a great support from our youth peer supporter named Ariana and so we made a 5 minute short doc for mm-hmm. that and one of the great things was the purpose of the documentary was to get the legislators and the powers to be in Texas to provide more funding yes. to these kinds of institutions mm-hmm. especially in central Texas where there's barely any of this kind of support mm-hmm. so i think it's important and so i had a great time running a production company to be in a producer role yes being a screenwriter myself to then go into a producer role yeah. and learning a lot just by going through it building my own team mm-hmm. great people that i work with devin foster matt rifley tom santos tori rice all of these great filmmakers and yeah. artists in austin that we worked together we hustled sold and made it happen and it was like a small knit team. And so speaking of which, how do you put together a team and foster creative collaboration? Well, then you have to have Devin Foster in the team. <laughs> <laughs> Devin if you're hearing this wherever you are. <laughs> uh so you have to have people who you get along with. Yeah. People who share the sense of creative joy, who share a sense of purpose yeah. and and who know how to get stuff done. Yeah. And so we're excited to pursue new projects and we're constantly in conversation so to be continued on yes, that front. Yes. That so on that front as we wrap up here, if people want to find out more, yes. where can they find you? So you know where you can find me. You can go to Instagram at snarky_crachiite. DM me. Let's talk. Let's chat. And if you want to learn more about the work that we've done as Dishna Films, you can go to www.dishnafilms.com. That is T I S H N A films.com. See you there. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> Melinda, you're awesome. I you think what you're too. doing is a great work and you are the creative vortex. Thank you. People should know that. Thank you. Thanks again to Shuja Uddin for our conversation today. You can find out more about him at Tishna Films, T I S H N A Films.com, and on Instagram at snarky underscore Karachiite, K A R A C H I T E. This episode was produced by Mike Osborne with production assistance by Brandon Burke. Follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn where you can also find out more about Syncreate. Thanks for listening and see you next time.